Welcome back to Bethesda Broadcast. This is episode number 11. Today is a special message from Pastor Roy Burkett, delivered on Mother's Day 2014. In today's message, Pastor Roy will be looking at four characteristics of a godly mother from 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2. Here's Pastor Roy from Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. special day in which we honor you and all your labor. I did pause to reflect upon my own mother, and I was thinking, I don't know if I ever apologized to her for when I was probably about five years old. I used to play outside, and of course we grew up in Ohio and, and uh, played out in the snow, and for some odd reason, whatever five-year-olds decide to do, I don't know why they decide to do what they do. But I would always, right before I would go in the house, I would take a bunch of snow and stuff it in my boots. And that way, when she would pull them off, snow went all over the floor. I think I just wanted her to think I really played hard out there, you know. And uh, so I just, I don't know why, it just, it just kind of stuck out to me uh, this morning. So sorry about that, Mom. They usually watch the video, so I'll apologize to you now. All right, uh, so this morning we're going to talk about characteristics of a godly mother uh, based on our text, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, and uh, I was really wrestling with, uh, of course, uh, Elkanah had two wives, he had Hannah, and then I, is it Penina or Penina? I thought maybe I need to ask uh, Wes, because he taught through uh, 1 Samuel, but um, it's one of the two. Uh, but let's go ahead and read down through First uh, Samuel chapter 1 just so we get a feel of what is going on in this story. First Samuel chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. There was a certain man from Ramatham, a Zophite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives, one was called Hannah, the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord, because he had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she said a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head." As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. 
Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord and went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. When the man Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, Elkanah, her husband told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I have asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Here, as we look at our text today, we need to realize that Samuel is a little bit of a transition book because uh, Samuel, who ended up being born to Hannah, was the last judge, and then he also was the first prophet, and before the monarchy uh, became into effect with kingship, uh, and eventually King Saul, who was rejected. But today we want to focus on Hannah and her story, and the fact of what characteristics encapsulate a godly mother. The first one I see here is that a godly mother exercises faith in the sovereignty of God. Faith in the sovereignty of God. Psalm 103, 19 says, The Lord has established His throne in heaven, and His kingdom, or we could say where the word kingdom is, His sovereignty rules over all. The sovereignty of God, and I should have probably put this onto a Thank you for catching that. I should have put this on the PowerPoint and I didn't put it on here, so I'll have to just give it to you. The sovereignty of God may be defined as the exercise of his supremacy, his infinite rule, his authority, and power. Because God's sovereignty means that he is the supreme ruler who eminently and personally rules over all the affairs of the universe, this includes both personal lives as individuals and as a local body of believers. The integrity and morality of a nation rests in people who put their faith in the sovereignty of God. If you want to look at a nation and the righteousness of a nation, we will see the righteousness of a nation, a people who will rise up and be righteous and godly, who put their faith in the sovereignty of God, that and that alone. 
Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. You know, throughout America, if we just take our country, we have godly families scattered throughout our nation. And it is those godly families that really provide the glue to hold a society together. Here we see a godly family in Elkanah and Hannah who desired to have a family. And of course he did with Penina. And then he also had a family with Hannah as well. And it was because of that that God was able to raise up a prophet, a godly man, out of a godly relationship. So what do we see here in Hannah? We see her devotion. We see her devotion in a couple ways. We see first her devotion to her husband. You know, if there's one thing we need in our culture, if we believe that God sovereignly brought husband and wife together, he brought you together in holy matrimony, then in that holy matrimony, you ought to be devoted to your husband. A godly wife will be devoted to her husband. The Bible says that the way women of old made themselves beautiful was how? By being submissive to their husbands. Voluntarily placing themselves under the authority of their husband. So her devotion is incredible. She is devoted to her husband. Even though she is wrestling with infertility, she stays faithful to her husband. Infertility is a difficult thing to deal with. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But we also see her devotion to her God as well. She faithfully went to the place of worship and found a place of prayer, even though her heart was broken over her infertility. She was devoted to the Lord. We see her disappointment as well. Her disappointment is in her infertility. Infertility in Bible times carried even further reproach in society it really people would view that person who was infertile as someone who God was exercising displeasure toward them and so here she's saying man God is not pleased with me what is wrong with me here Penina pregnancy after pregnancy child after child and here I am I long to have a child and you know even in our culture today the statistic that I read recently said one in six women are infertile. And they say that the pain of infertility is equal in some ways, if not even greater than the pain of divorce. When I read that, that was, that was news to me. I did not think about the pain that that can be. And so maybe there's, maybe there's a woman here today who has been infertile. I want to encourage you. It is not God's curse on you. We have to go back and say that God is sovereign in his dealings with individuals and with a nation. And that's his plan maybe for you at this particular time in your life. I'm sure as a new bride, Hannah had high expectations of becoming a young mother. Year after year went by and she seemed no closer to conceiving a child than when they were first brought together in union. And I can only imagine the questions going through her mind. What's wrong with me? Why is God against me? Why is he withholding from me this great desire that I have? I see other moms who don't seem to give their kids the time of day. Why has God chosen me to be infertile? But you know, there's other examples in Scripture 
of women who were infertile and later in life, because they trusted in the sovereignty of God, God blessed them with a child. And it doesn't mean every time God is going to do that. But I think about Elizabeth, who became the mother of John the Baptist. She had been barren for years, but her faithful walk with God, and God eventually gave her John the Baptist, whom she gave back to the Lord. I also think of Sarah, who was barren for a number of years, and eventually in her old age, past the age of childbearing, the Bible says, she conceived and gave birth to Isaac. That is the sovereignty of God. Mothers, be reminded that your children are a gift of the sovereignty of God. And as that responsibility that you have in raising them and teaching them to fear and know God. But let me tell you this, too, in relationship to whether it's infertility or whether it's some other difficulty that you have in life. Maybe you're here this morning, you're not a mother, so you're not dealing with that kind of thing. Maybe you're dealing with some other difficulty, some other relationship issue, some other personal issue that you are struggling with in relationship to trusting the sovereignty of God. Would you trust His sovereignty? that he is all-wise, that he is all-knowing, that he is a ruler of the universe, and he is the ruler of every individual. Let me say this in relationship to that. Human calculations are inadequate for divine equations. Let me say that again. Human calculations are inadequate for divine equations. When we bring God into the mix, we cannot possibly humanly, with our finite, limited mind, understand the mind and heart of God. We cannot possibly do that. There are tragedies, there is suffering, there is persecution of Christians that we cannot possibly grasp. We have to go back to putting our faith in the sovereignty of God. What a beautiful picture we have of Hannah doing just that. Paul captures this idea also in a similar way in Romans 8.18 when he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul is saying, in essence, I am trusting that the sovereignty of God and in comparison to what I'm suffering now, there is no comparison. There's no human calculation that can understand the divine equation of God. Wonderful thing. He's saying that God is working out his plan and purpose on a much larger scale than the viewpoint of one individual amidst seven billion people. Think about that. God is over seven billion people, and he's in control of it all. But Hannah was childless. She would have been a reproach to her husband and society. Let me give us three factors quickly that distort our perception of the sovereignty of God. The first one is an overinflated attitude of self-importance. Whenever I begin to think that my agenda, my life, my dreams, my desires are more important than God's, I am going to have a distorted picture of the sovereignty of God. And there are a lot of people in that boat who will not bow to God. My desire, my dream, it's what I want, God. And if you don't give it to me, I'm going to be angry with you rather than bowing and somehow I think that we think the eternal sovereign God should bow to my plans and my dreams. <laughs> God is saying, no, you need to bow to my dreams and my will. An overinflated attitude of self-importance. 
I do not see that in the life of Hannah at all. How many of you are familiar with Chuck Norris? Everybody knows about Chuck Norris, right? My son has a poster of Chuck Norris in his room. There's all kinds of quotes about Chuck Norris. I mean, you talk about an overinflated attitude of self-importance, Chuck Norris, okay? But I don't think he said all these things about himself. It says, Chuck Norris can blow bubbles with beef jerky. Chuck Norris doesn't wear a watch. He decides what time it is. There's no control button on Chuck Norris's computer. Chuck Norris is always in control. Chuck Norris doesn't breathe. He holds air hostage. <laughs> Chuck Norris doesn't read books. He stares them down until he gets the information he wants. Wouldn't that be great, kids? <laughs> Just stare it down. Chuck Norris once kicked a horse in the chin. Its descendants are known today as giraffes. I thought that was good. But, you know, it's the idea of, you know, the universe can't function without me. I, you know, God needs me. He needs me to run his universe. He needs me to help him out. He needs me. I'm important. I'm somebody. Look at my title. Look at my position. And God is not impressed with any of that. All of that is a gift from the Lord. It results in a warped self-worth and we become an overinflated balloon. And I've got to tell you, God is in the balloon bursting business. He will burst your balloon to humble you and to humble me. Maybe that's why it says in Judges 21:25, "In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. Self-importance. Let me just do what's important to me. Secondly, an underdeveloped concept of God's character. If we do not have a good, biblical, solid understanding of the character of God, we are going to have a warped perspective of His sovereignty. That He is the ruler, that He is in charge. If we were to recount through the pages of history, we would find a number of mothers who developed a biblical concept of God's character and who taught their children a proper concept of God's character. Moms, our responsibility to pass on a concept of God's character to our children so they will begin to trust the sovereignty of God and understand that God is sovereign in their lives as well. I think of Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln said, I remember my mother's prayers and they have always followed me. They have clung to me all my life. George Washington said, All I am, I owe to my mother. Wow, quite a statement. If we do not have a proper concept, though, of God's character, then how are we going to handle disappointment? How would Hannah have handled her infertility and her disappointment had she not had a proper concept of God and his character. So the question is, am I committed to God's plan and purpose for my life? And what do I think God owes me? Does he owe me anything? He doesn't. So I would say this, be careful in how you evaluate the sovereignty of God. If you evaluate God's sovereignty solely by your experience 
you will not have a proper view of the workings of God. You've got to go beyond your experience to biblical truth. Crucial for all of us. The third one, third factor, a fatalistic approach to the world. (laughs) Say, what is that? Well, according to dictionary.com, it is the acceptance of all things and events as inevitable. Submission to fate, a fatalistic viewpoint would say that we are powerless to do anything other than what we actually do. Merriam-Webster said it's the belief that that what will happen has already been decided and cannot be changed. In other words, and I have heard Christians say this, if God is sovereign, why pray? You ever said that or thought that? Why pray? Why should I bother if God is sovereign and he's the ruler and he controls everything and he's going to decide everything? We pray out of obedience to God because God said to. I think that's a good enough reason. (laughs) And God does hear and move according to the prayers of his people. The hand of God is moved by prayer. God's hand was moved in Hannah's case because of her prayer. And so it does move. It's not a fatalistic viewpoint. We've got to go beyond that to a biblical perspective. Well, let's go on to the second one. A godly mother exhibits focus on the person of God. We see this as well in the life of Hannah. She went, if we look at our text again, In verse 10, in bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. Wept much and prayed to the Lord. Look in verse 12, as she kept on praying. Look down in verse 16. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman, for I have been praying here out of my great anguish. Verse 27, I prayed for this child. Her focus was on the person of God. Yes, she was talking to God about what ached her heart, but she was taking it to the Lord. What do you do with your ache in your heart, Mom? Or anybody else? What do we do with our ache? Do we take it to the Lord? What a beautiful example and illustration we have in Hannah, taking it to the Lord in prayer. So what does this have to do with in our focus on the Lord? Number one is surrender. Are we willing to surrender Are we willing to submit everything to God in our lives? Is God and His Word the ruling authority in my life, or do I trump His authority by making His will less important than mine? James 4, 7 says, Submit, surrender yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. James Montgomery Boyce, in his book, The Sovereign God, says this, The immediate factor in the current breakdown in respect for authority, when we think about submitting to an authority, is the impact of European existentialism. Now, existentialism emphasizes the importance of the individual, where the individual gets to, of his own free will, decide what he's going to do, irrespective of what God thinks. So he says, European existentialism through the works of Friedrich Nietzsche, Albert Camus, Margaret Heidegger, 
In their works, the autonomy of the individual is a dominant philosophical idea before which all other concepts, including the existence of God, must be eliminated. We find ourselves only when all external restraints are cast off. And what is the result of that kind of mindset and philosophy? In Nietzsche's philosophy, the ideal figure is the superman, the one who creates his own values and who is answerable to no one but himself. But Nietzsche, the inventor of this teaching, died as a free person, or I'm sorry, died not as a free person, but as a prisoner of his own mind through insanity. The viewpoint that is that God is so restricting, he must be cast off. Questions must therefore be answered, not on the basis of a divinely revealed principle or right versus wrong, but on the basis of what the individual or a majority of individuals desire. How sad that we have that. The problem, though, did not begin with existentialism. The problem began in the Garden of Eden. When man began to question the sovereign God, did God say? That's where we went wrong. And began to question God's wisdom. Not only surrender, humility. We see in Hannah a humble person. Notice she says in verse 11, she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon who? Your servant's misery. I'm not the ruler. I'm the servant. (laughs) I'm subservient to you. I am the servant. And that's how she viewed herself. Notice she says in verse 16, do not take your servant for a wicked woman. She saw herself as a humble servant before the Lord, poured her soul out before the Lord, asking God to intervene on her behalf. What humility we see. Mom, humble yourself before the Lord. It says in James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. You see the saying that God helps those who help themselves is not true. We should say God helps those who are unable to help themselves. That's what we ought to say. In Psalm 51:17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. The third thing we see is trust. A quiet confidence in the person of God. That I'm confident of his knowledge, that when I don't fully understand, I know he's full aware of my feelings, my struggles, and my lack of faith. God is aware of that in our lives. And that's why he says in Proverbs 3, 5, what? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Whether you're mom, young person, older person, this is a lifelong lesson for all of us, isn't it? It really is to lean on the Lord. As a result of focusing on the person of God, Hannah's heart was changed. It will change our heart as well. Let's go on. A godly mother, thirdly, experiences favor from the hand of God. Favor from the hand 
of God. How do we get favor from God? Well, we don't. <laughs> he gives it to us. It's all about God's gifts. We do not earn God's favor at all. He gives it to us. And how does he do that? By God's sovereign choice. He chooses to give it to us. In Romans 9, 15, and 16, it says this, For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. God's sovereign choice. He chooses who he's going to have mercy on. He chooses who he's going to have compassion on. It is God's choice. Secondly, God's grace and mercy. Galatians 1.15, But when God, who set me apart from birth, called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. God called Paul by grace. He calls us by grace as well. There's no other way. The grace of God. So God's favor comes by God's grace, and God's f grace is never earned. It is given as a gift to us. Thirdly, our obedience. There is an element of our responsibility in God's favor, and that's our obedience. Listen to these words from Proverbs chapter 3. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. Obey my commands, he's saying. For they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. That's favor. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor, the Bible says, and a good name in the sight of God and man. If you want God's favor, be obedient to God. Obedience will help bring that favor to us. Ultimately, though, it's God's choice. Fourthly, a godly mother expresses fre frequent praise for the greatness of God. Frequent praise for the greatness of God. We see this in Hannah, rejoicing in the Lord's goodness. Look down in chapter 2, verse 1. After she has this child, Hannah prayed again and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. She is rejoicing in God, recognizing that God granted favor on her behalf. Moms, do you recognize God's favor in your life? That's a gift from the Lord, a favor. Do you rejoice in his goodness toward you? Secondly, reflecting on the Lord's holiness. Notice he says in chapter 2, verse 2, There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Reflecting on the holiness of God. We see this again in Hannah. Her whole focus on God, her focus on God's sovereignty is absolutely crucial in our lives. Let's stand for a word of prayer.
I would just like you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. Moms, we honor you today. Are you honoring the Lord in your life? And are you, if your mother is still alive, are you honoring your mother? Those of us who still are blessed to have mothers with us. Those who may have mothers who have already passed on, have you thanked the Lord for what your mother has invested in you? Those of you who may have mothers who are not godly or were not godly, maybe you can still thank the Lord for His grace and favor in your life to bring you to recognize that and to recognize God's favor in your life, that He will be your father, He will be your mother. Or maybe He's provided somebody else in your life to do that. But as we bow and as we reflect upon Hannah this morning, how's your faith in the sovereignty of God? Realize that ultimately there's no accidents in God's economy. And realizing that human calculations are inadequate for divine equations. If we could begin to grasp that concept, our faith would grow. It really would. And it would change our whole perspective on how we view relationships and how we view our families and our children. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I want to invite you. If you don't know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior, Jesus died on the cross for your sin and paid the penalty for your sin in full that you could be forgiven and be in a right relationship with God. I would invite you to do that. Or maybe you have questions about your own spiritual journey Please see myself afterwards. I'll be shaking hands at the back door. I'd be glad to talk with you about your spiritual journey. Sarah, I'm going to have you come up, and uh, I'm going to have prayer as I close in prayer this morning. And you can, uh, your family can come up with you and gather around you as well. Mom, Dad, Nathan, Emily. You got other family here as well. Come right on up. Gather around her. And uh, Sarah is leaving for Bangalore, India, 19th? 18th. All right, on the 18th. And be gone for six weeks, I believe. Six weeks uh, ministering and, and human trafficking and things. So it will be, it will be a, an incredible opportunity. And so we need to pray for her, for her safety, uh, for her opportunity to be a, an ambassador for Christ. Um, she serves the Lord there. So uh, as we close in prayer this morning, we want to remember Sarah as she goes. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of celebrating and honoring our mothers Lord, we realize that they have great influence and impact in our culture. And Lord, we realize too that mothers have so much to offer in holding together a society.
And Lord, we thank you for them, for their influence and for their love and for their insight uh, that you give them. Lord, we thank you for their investment. I thank you for the investment of my mother, not only my own life, but my brothers and sisters as well. And Lord, many of us pause to, to give you thanks for that. And Lord, we realize your favor upon us uh, because of that. Lord, we also pause to pray for Sarah this morning. We thank you for working in her heart and, and stirring her to uh, want to serve you on foreign soil this summer in a difficult place. Uh, but yet, God, we trust that you are a sovereign God, and we know that you have orchestrated events in her life to bring her to this point. And it's not accidental, it's intentional. And God, we know that she is going to have a great impact there in the lives of young ladies who need the love of Christ and need healing and hope and encouragement and security and protection. And so God, we just pray that you will use her, give her safety as she travels, keep her healthy. May the angel of the Lord encamp around her to protect her. And Lord, we just pray, we look forward with great anticipation of all that you will do, not only through her, but through others who will minister to these ladies that have been enslaved in human trafficking, and whose lives have been scarred. But God, we know that you can make beauty out of ashes, and we ask that you would do that in the lives of these young ladies. And Lord, we just ask too for Sarah's family. Uh, we know their concern, and Lord, we just ask that you will bring great strength to them, and may they place their security in your sovereignty of this call. Lord, we thank you for allowing us to be ambassadors for Christ, to be used by you to change and bring hope to a lost world. God, I also pause to pray if there's someone here today who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, where they would bow their knee to you and humble themselves before you and receive your grace and favor into their lives and begin to live for you and honor you in their lives. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for the freedom we have to worship you. We give you the glory and the honor. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you have any questions or want to know more about our church, please go to our website at www.bchweb.org or find us on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.